0: You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe that helps people who feel far from God to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. For more fresh content, check City Tribe on YouTube, Instagram, or Facebook. Enjoy the message, and welcome to the tribe. Now here's Lee Wong. One April day in 33 AD, Jesus and his disciples rested upon Mount Olivet in Jerusalem his disciples approached him to ask a question similar to what you and I are asking today. They asked, what will be the sign of your return and the end of the age? Translation, Jesus, when will you save us from our current crappy circumstances? How long must we be stuck in and suffer from our situation and until we can experience your eternal rest? And in typical Jesus fashion, in his infinite wisdom and big picture perspective, Jesus answered their questions by answering questions they didn't even think to ask. Jesus answered his disciples' questions by giving them answers he only hoped that they would take to heart. And those questions were essentially these. Jesus, in the midst of our current circumstances, what's most important right now? Jesus, how might we endure these times such that we live a rewarding, impactful life with little regrets? Now, my name is Lee, I'm one of your tribe teachers, and I'm broadcasting from San Antonio, Texas, where we're in our seventh week under shelter-in-place orders. And thinking about my own experience right now and what several of my friends are experiencing right now, I imagine that some of you miss your aging parents, your growing grandchildren, and the fun that you have with your best friends, and you can't wait to be with them physically and hug them again. I know I miss my family tremendously. And perhaps you're stressed right now being a work-from-home employee, a parent, a homeschool teacher and principal, and a personal chef all together at once. And my guess is you personally know someone serving on the front lines, someone affected financially or someone infected with COVID-19, and your concern for their well-being is weighing on you. Maybe you're grieving the unexpected death of a loved one who you didn't get to say goodbye to and whose funeral you can't attend. And if that's the case, I'm especially sorry for your loss. I grieve with you. And I want you to know our team has been praying for every single one of you. In any case, this whole pandemic, I'm sure you would agree, it's been a very taxing time. And like me, you've probably understandably and naturally wondered, when will this end? How much longer must we endure? But is it possible, like Jesus' disciples on Mount Olivet, that we've focused on the wrong question? Maybe instead of when and how long, Jesus wants you and me to focus on the answers that he already gave, to ask the questions that his disciples in 33 AD didn't ask. In the midst of our current circumstances, what's most important right now? How might we endure these times such that we live a rewarding, impactful life with little regrets? Now, to answer those questions today, we're going to unpack a teaching in Matthew's account about Jesus. And so if you have your physical or your digital Bibles, find the portion titled Matthew. We'll be in the 23rd, 24th, and 25th sections. We're going to survey Matthew chapters 23, 24, and 25. Now, before we dive into today's teaching, would you just pray something like this with me? You can say it out loud, say it under your breath, but just join me in saying, Holy Spirit, teach me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, to fully understand the gravity of Jesus' teaching, you have to understand the events that led to it. So, just the day before, Jesus and his disciples journeyed to Jerusalem in preparation for the major Jewish holiday, Passover. There, he arrived at the Jewish temple, considered God's house of rest. And what Jesus found when he arrived filled him with a righteous rage. The temple, instead of being a sacred place of prayer and praise, it had become a pulga, a sort of flea market. It had become a place where vendors profited off of people seeking God's mercy. Jesus saw this as a defiling, a perversion of his father's house. And so he flipped the vendors' tables and he drove out everyone who was there only to profit off of people. Now, the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious council under whose watch this perversion was permitted, they were livid. How dare Jesus disrupt their economic system? How dare Jesus disrespect their authority? Well, Jesus was equally livid with their supposed service to God. The very next day, he returned to the temple and he publicly protested their perversion. For those of you who tuned in and who don't know much about Jesus, let this be a glimpse into his heart. Let this be a glimpse into who he is and what he's all about. Before a large crowd and his disciples, Jesus said sharply to the religious council, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people. You devour widows' houses, meaning you take from the poor and you justify it by making long public prayers. In other words, you phonies, you put profit and your own preservation over people and it's keeping them from experiencing the relief and rest that God freely offers them, the relief that they want. And Jesus continued, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and come and have neglected the weightier purposes of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. You have perverted for people what God truly desires from us, what he is all about. Jesus was livid that the people who supposedly serve God had missed what was most important. They missed what carries the most weight in God's economy. And it wasn't performing religious rituals. It wasn't self-preservation. The way that you and I are grieved at the rising daily death toll from this pandemic, Jesus was grieved deeply. He was so grieved that he was enraged because he expects more out of people who claim they know God. And it's this sequence of temple events, Jesus's righteous rage and his public outcry against the religious council that gives us the backdrop to Jesus's teachings on what's most important right now. Now back to our opening scene, back to Mount Olivet. Jesus and his disciples rested after their 30 minute trek from the temple. Having publicly denounced the religious council, Jesus sealed his fate to be crucified and he knew it. And his disciples, they probably felt that there would be fallout. They probably felt that there was gonna be coming consequences and they were concerned because they wanted reassurance. As they looked to the temple at a distance, they asked Jesus, what will be the sign of your return and the end of the age? And this is where our conversation today really picks up. Jesus answered them, of that day, an hour, No one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. No one, not even Jesus, knew when he'd return to establish his kingdom. And because of this, focusing on when and how long wasn't at all important to Jesus. And he didn't want his disciples to focus on what they couldn't control. And so Jesus redirected their focus by answering the questions they didn't even think to ask, the questions he wanted them and perhaps you and me to ask. What's most important right now? And so y'all get your pins ready and pay attention to what Jesus said. He said, therefore, because when and because how long don't really matter. Be on the alert. Highlight, underline, circle that phrase. Be on the alert. For you do not know which day your Lord is coming. You don't know when or how long. And then Jesus repeated himself. And as we say all the time, when the king repeats himself, you better pay attention. For this reason, you also must be ready. Highlight, underline, circle, that phrase, must be ready. For the son of man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. According to Jesus, what's most important right now is that we be on the alert and that we be ready for his return. And so, as your normal and my normal routines have been disrupted, you and I, we have a unique opportunity to reprioritize our lives. As we move forward from this season, your and my best time and energy must be spent doing what Jesus said. You and I must, now write this down, live preparing for the return of the King. You and I must live preparing for the return of the king. But why? Why did Jesus teach his followers that preparing for his return was what's most important right now? Well, through a series of parables, stories with a principle, Jesus answered why. Now, we're going to go in a roundabout way to answer that question. It is a lot, so I need you to stay with me, all right? One particular parable went like this. For it Jesus' return is just like a man about to go on a journey who invited his own slaves and trusted his possessions to them. Now, Jesus told this story to predict how he'd physically depart earth and ascend to heaven. It communicated how he invites his followers, idiotes and sinners, a bunch of unskilled, unqualified, imperfect individuals to continue his kingdom movement. And to everyone who accepts that invitation, he hands over to their care his prized possessions. So, what are those possessions that he hands over? Well, Jesus told his disciples as his story unfolded to one of the servants, he gave five talents of silver, to another, two talents of silver, and to another, one talent of silver, each according to his own ability. Now, the possessions that the master in this story handed over were talents of silver. Talents were a form of currency in the first century. It was a unit of weight, about 75 pounds. And often when this parable is taught, you'll hear talents of silver being equated to money or the resources that Jesus gives to you, what's in your bank account. Perhaps sometimes it's your position at work. And I'm not saying that that can't be part of this interpretation but that's not specifically what Jesus implied here. Remember, a talent in the first century was a what? A weight. And just a moment ago, you and I read when Jesus said to the religious council that they neglected the what? The weightier matters, the weightier purposes, mercy, and justice. Are you seeing the connection there? A talent was a weight. And there are weightier matters, mercy and justice. And so the possessions that Jesus handed over to his disciples while he's away is his infinite, unmerited mercy. In addition to that, there was a well-known Jewish concept known as the heaviness or the weight of God. The weight of God is a term for his mind, his will, and his emotions. That is, the weight of God is his spirit. On top of that, the talents of silver, the possessions handed over to the servants also represent that which bears God's weight, his image, people, his children. And so the possessions that Jesus is referring to in this story are thus. Number one, his infinite and unmerited mercy that he freely gives to us. Number two, his ever-present Holy Spirit that you and I inherit when we accept his invitation to follow him. And number three, his invaluable image bearers, people, your parents, your children, your friends, your coworkers, all of which have eternal worth. Thus, they are the weightier matters of life. You and I already have more than what's in our bank accounts. Are you still with me? We're still trying to answer what's most important to live preparing for Jesus's return. His story continued. Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves returned and took up their accounts. And there it is. There's our answer. This is why we must live preparing for the return of the king. Jesus gave everyone who follows him a heads up. He will take up an account from everyone who accepted his invitation to participate in his movement. You and I will report how we stewarded his spirit, multiplied his mercy and cared for his children. But there's more to this. Through the servants in his parable, Jesus unpacked what this event will look like when he takes up an account and what the stakes are. Upon the return of the master, one servant in the story said, master, you entrusted five talents of silver to me. You see, I have gained five more. And another said, master, you entrusted two talents of silver to me. See, I have gained two more. And to these servants, the master said, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, here's what all of this means. When the king returns, you and I will each report to Jesus how we participated in his movement. And Jesus is excited to reward each of us according to how we stewarded his spirit, multiplied his mercy, and cared for his children. Jesus wants to bless you and bless me abundantly. And not just with earthly matters, but eternal matters. The weightier things. And he wants you and me to share in his inheritance. Now think about this. This has been Jesus's heart since the beginning of creation when he told the first man and the first woman, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over every living thing. Jesus wants you and me to reign with him and being a compassionate, merciful king. He doesn't want any of us to experience the agony of regret or any sort of guilt because we didn't focus on what mattered most, because we didn't focus on the weightier things. He wants us to experience for eternity, extreme delight knowing that we lived for the weightier matters. He wants you and me in the here and now to experience his rest, knowing that he will one day say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into my joy. What greater reputation, what greater reward What greater rest for our souls than for the creator of the universe to invite you to enter into his eternal delight. I don't know about you, but I surely want that. And if you want that, just give me a heart or give me a like or a happy face or something like that. Give us a comment. This is why what's most important right now is for you and for me to decide that we will live preparing for the king's return. Now, believe me when I say, I get how weird all of this sounds. I get that it sounds like a lot of mythological mumbo jumbo. Some of you might be thinking, really? The return of the king? What is this? Like a Lord of the Rings story? Or you might be thinking, you're telling me that I'm supposed to prioritize my life to live to receive eternal rewards? And I'll admit, it all sounds a little far-fetched. It sounds fairy tale-like, yes, but here's just one of the countless verifiable reasons I'm persuaded that all of this is true, that I'm persuaded you and I will give an account for how we lived our lives and participated in this movement. After Jesus exposed the religious council's perversion, as he exited the Jewish temple, he predicted this about it. Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another which will not be torn down. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Jesus predicted the massive Jewish temple would be torn down in his disciples' lifetime. And with 16 feet thick walls and stones weighing two tons up to 160,000 tons in the foundation, this was inconceivable. It's not like they had bulldozers or atomic bombs in that day, but get this. Just a few years after Matthew recorded this prediction, that's exactly what happened. In 70 AD, the Roman army surrounded Jerusalem and besieged it. Millions of unarmed Jewish men, women, and children were slaughtered. The temple was looted and destroyed. The devastation was so great, historians recorded that it appeared nothing had ever existed there. No stone was left unturned, just as Jesus predicted 40 years prior. And I imagine Matthew and the other disciples still living remembered Jesus's words. They probably echoed in their minds, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. The siege of Jerusalem effectively ended the temple system. It's why Jews no longer sacrifice animals. It's why in our world today, we don't have scribes and Pharisees. Yet here we are today, 2,000 years later, all around the world, people are gathered in Jesus's name. They're learning about his teachings and we're continuing his kingdom movement despite Jesus's crucifixion, despite that he entrusted his movement to a bunch of uneducated, illiterate, idiotes and imperfect sinners, despite the fact that most of them were persecuted and executed. Why? Because it's just as he said. His words will not pass away. And this is just one of at least 17 predictions that Jesus made that have already come true. And so you and I can be persuaded that Jesus wants to bless us abundantly. We can be persuaded that we will give an account for how we participated in his movement and how we will be rewarded accordingly. And because of this, the most important thing that you can do right now is to live preparing for the return of the king. And so if you are a parent or a grandparent raising children Teach them about the weightier things. Teach them what's most important, to live preparing for the return of the king. If you're a high school student or a college student figuring out this thing called life, decide today to live for the weightier things, storing the spirit, multiplying his mercy, caring for God's children, and live preparing for the return of the king if you've been let go from a job, you find yourself with a little more time on your hands, you're just tired of life not going the way you want it to go, then I urge you to start today. Make every adjustment necessary so that you live for the weightier things, so that you live preparing for the return of the king. Now tell the person next to you or type in the comments to live preparing. And so where do we start? We know we must steward God's spirit and multiply his mercy and care for his children. But how might you and I start focusing on the weightier matters today so that we receive the rewards Jesus wants to give? Well, we learn how through the servant in the story who received one talent of silver and who ended up living with regret and guilt. He said, master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid And I went and I hid your talent. I hid what you handed over to me in the ground. Now, the word for new, it means to know someone intimately, based on personal experience. It's often a term used to describe the intimacy between a wife and a husband as they seek to become one, united in thought and in spirit. For example, for over a decade, my wife, Christine, and I, we've spent countless hours in each other's presence. We've done and still do virtually everything together. We're rarely apart. And we don't always get this right, but we at least strive to be supportive spouses, seeking oneness in spirit. For over a decade, we've had daily conversations, asking questions and listening to one another, discovering each other's personalities and preferences and perspectives. We don't have to ask what the other person wants or likes when buying groceries or getting takeout food. We can just look at the other person and laugh because we know what the other person is thinking. Christine and I, we are intimately connected. We know each other. And this is how the servant with one talent described his relationship with the master. He believed that they were one in spirit, intimately connected. But the master in the story didn't think so. He corrected that servant. He said, you wicked and lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Now, We in our English translations, unfortunately, we don't see the master's correction. But in the original Greek manuscripts of this text, Matthew artfully recorded a different word for new right there. The different word for new meant that the self preserving servant only perceived his master with physical eyes. So essentially, the master was saying, You didn't know me fully. You perceive my personality and my preferences based only on external circumstances. You didn't spend time in my presence daily. You didn't converse with me often. We weren't intimately connected. Now, this self-preserving servant, he didn't have an intimate relationship with his master. He thus didn't have an accurate perspective of his master's personality and preferences. This was the reason why he was afraid and hesitant to live preparing for his master's return. It's the reason he lost focus on the weightier things, why he reverted to a self-preservation and why he missed out on rewards and ended up living with regret. And this is exactly Jesus's point to you and me, how we start to live preparing for his return. Remember, Jesus is anti-self-preservation. This was the whole backdrop of this teaching. He's grieved by it because it keeps people from his rest. And so if you and I are going to avoid living like that self-preserving servant in the parable, you and I have to know God fully. We can't know God based only on external circumstances and what we perceive from the physical world. You and I must also know him intimately through his spirit, not just as a father, but as a supportive spouse and best friend. The way that I've come to know Christine through daily conversations and being diligent to spend time in his presence, or as we've said in this series, by drawing near and being still. Jesus wants you and me to know without guessing his personality and his preferences. Now, one of the ways that I've come to know God intimately is by reading the accounts about Jesus that have been collected for us in our Bible. And I know I'm teaching from Matthew's account today, but I recommend reading the Gospel of John. It's a great starting place. The two words for know that we see recorded in this parable, they're used in John's account over 330 times combined. And so knowing God fully is one of the main themes in the Gospel of John. You'll read how Jesus stewarded God's spirit, how he multiplied mercy, how he cared for people. And as you spend time in John's account, the Holy Spirit will show you personally what you're supposed to do according to your own ability. And knowing God intimately will help you persist and persevere until Jesus return, just like the servants who had to wait a long time for their master's return. And so read the gospel of John, just one section a day, every day. And when you're done, start over. Because to live preparing for the return of the king, it starts with knowing God fully, knowing him intimately, knowing his personality and his preferences and his perspective. And this is how you start to live for what's most important right now. This is how you live for the weightier things. And that's when I'm inviting you to join me in doing starting today. Regardless of where you are in your faith journey, whether you know very little about Jesus or if you consider yourself a Bible scholar, I'm inviting you to join me in discovering a fresher, fuller perspective of who Jesus is. As our lives have been disrupted and we embark on a new normal, let our new normal be to live preparing by pursuing intimacy with Jesus. Let our new normal be engaging God, not just as our father, but as our best friend or our supportive spouse. And then as you do, he will show you how to participate in his kingdom movement, stewarding his spirit, multiplying his mercy and caring for his children according to your own abilities. And when we do this, I am convinced that we will experience a rest in our souls in the here and now, knowing that we will have no regrets. We will experience rest, knowing that Jesus will one day say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my joy. We will be rewarded significantly on this earth and in eternity because we emphasized the weightier matters. And if that's not enough to inspire you, to join me, to accept this invitation, to know Jesus more fully and more intimately. Maybe this will help. Now, I didn't intend for this to happen. But the same way this series started with a conversation with Doug, an upload from the Spirit, and a text message, it's only fitting that it concludes with the same. I wasn't originally supposed to teach this week. But recently, Doug and I had a conversation And he asked me what I sensed the Holy Spirit was saying that we need to to know together as a tribe. And I told him that I felt like the Spirit was just inviting us to know Jesus a little more intimately. And then I just got this sense, this upload that I had to teach on Matthew 25, even though I believed it meant something totally differently. And so a few days ago, I started to prepare this message and as I completed my first draft, I received a text message from a number not saved in my phone. Turns out it was from a longtime City Tribe family member, Doree. And Doree has served on our prayer team and as an intercessor for our tribe. She's a sort of spiritual mother to us. She pays attention with intention to what the Holy Spirit wants to say. And here's what the text she sent me said. I've paraphrased it this way. I believe The following speaks to City Tribe. I went into prayer on Friday. The Lord brought to my mind a question Do you want to be made ready? He said, Now is the time for preparation. Matthew 25. Find me, know me, look into my eyes, know my words, know my voice. Know me and you will be made ready. Now is the time for preparation. This is an invitation to draw near to me, to seek my face unto deeper intimacy and to live, to root yourself deeper in my love. This was my response to her. OMG, oh my God, I got chills reading this. I'm teaching on Matthew 25 this weekend. My big idea, live preparing. Jesus is obviously up to something right now in our tribe. And I believe he's inviting you to know him so that you can participate in what he's doing and what he wants to do and so that he can bless you abundantly. And I want that for you. And you've got everything to gain from this. You've got everything to gain from knowing Jesus more intimately with a fresher, fuller perspective. Because just as he said, and just as he's proved, his words will not pass away. And so if you want to join me in this text, the number that you see on the bottom of the screen, and would you just join me in prayer right now? Heavenly Father, first of all, we thank you for the accounts that Matthew and that John have recorded for us. We thank you that Through them, we're able to know you more intimately. We're able to know really who you are and what you're about, that you care for the weightier things in life, that which is eternal. And so Lord, help us. Help us steward your Holy Spirit that you have given us. Help us multiply the mercy that you have freely given us and help us care for your children. Lord, we know that only those things are eternal and thus they are the way to matters. And so heavenly father, help us, help us God. We accept your invitation. We want to receive the rewards that you want to give us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name and everyone who agreed said, amen. God bless you guys. We're glad you were part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check citytribe.church.